Well, we're doing this series called Woke. It's a Woke series, which is interesting because four years ago we named the series Woke. Um, today, the Woke is almost kind of like a negative term. Like, that guy's so, that guy thinks he's so woke right now. <laughs> you know? so, um, but the whole idea was really about, um, for us, discovering our story of the gospel coming to the, this land. And, and, and as we journey through the story, and sometimes this, discovering the story is so painful. Right, I'm thinking, which is why we understand why we don't learn our past. Actually, that's so painful. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. But it's so true. In order to move forward, we've got to understand where we come from. And I've enjoyed this series for the last four years and discovering our past and this pain and hardship within that. But, and so when we begin to learn this and, and stir it up inside of us, and, and what do we do with that? And, what we just, and the best way to deal with that is to turn it into prayer. So God, you're stir, obviously stirring something within my heart, Lord. I'm gonna, I don't know what to do with it, so Lord, I'm giving it to you. Let, help me be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Or, and so this is what this series is all about. It's like how can we navigate together what God is doing in this land. There's a prophetic voice within this land, and what can we do about it? And that's our series, Woke. Woke. Year four. Fourth year in, in, in this series. <laughs> Do you remember the very first movie you saw at the big screen? Do you remember your very first big screen movie that you got taken to? Right? Do you remember what movie it was? I hope it wasn't the Smurfs or something like that. Well, um, for me, I was only, I just turned five, it was December 5th, December 5th, 1980. Right, and you're trying to do the calculations, wondering how old I am. I'm 24. Okay, wow. I was five years old in 1980, just turned five in December, and um, and I got and my cousin, he was only 20 years of age at the time, and and we caught the bus all the way to downtown Auckland from Mangere to downtown Auckland. He was only 20 years old back guess back in those days. Just, you just I was just following him along, and we went to the Civic Movie Theater. In downtown Auckland. Does anybody know the Civic Movie Theater? Anybody been to the Civic Movie Theater? It's stunning. You've got these lions with glowing eyes, and you look up, you can see these kind of stars that are supposed to represent um, what's happening above Aotearoa. It was amazing. And the first movie I ever saw, and I didn't realize that I was going to become one of the first New Zealanders to watch this as it came to this country in 1980 the 5th of December, and, and it was the greatest movie ever made in history. still is today. And that movie was The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. There you go. The, this, is, this is a picture of the, the original advert in the, and back then, the Auckland Star or, or the New Zealand Herald or whatever they called it back then. Uh, and it's the greatest sequel ever made. It's the greatest, all these things. And you might be in disagreement with me, but that's okay because I have the mic. So it is the greatest movie ever made. What's this movie about the Empire Strikes Back? It's about a father who lost his way, seduced by the dark side, right? But yet in the midst of darkness, there is hope. There is hope. I sound like a youth pastor right now. <laughs> but here's the thing, you know, have you ever noticed when you watch movies, you kind of feel like there's this God story. You sense that you're, you, this, this story sounds familiar, right? And it's, it's, what's, it's what's called the biblical meta-narrative or the grand narrative that flows through these stories. And it's the story of Christ within these movies and in these stories. In fact, the early Christians also noticed this when they began to look at these Greco-Roman pagan stories. They can begin to see that, that these stories were pointing towards Christ, and they recognize as the early church recognized these stories. 
If you're looking for the title of my message today, it is, it is called The Myth Made Fact. The Myth Made Fact. If you, in fact, if you look hard enough in all the cultures and in, in all the societies in the world, what you will find is this flickering candle of hope or this, of something that God had, had written in the hearts of this society, this, this culture. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, this, he says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to end. That God had written his story, that God had written his story in the hearts of man. And as humanity began to spread across the globe, these stories, they get morphed and they get lost. But embedded are the remnants of things that are true. That God was preparing the heart of all people for the coming of the true gospel. In fact, later on, the apostles and others will go and use these stories to build bridges to win people over for Christ Jesus. In fact, even written within the New Testament, within our own Bibles, you see the apostles doing the exact thing. In fact, to go to, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, you people in, in Greece, men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. So he's looking around, he's going through, 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 the, through the city of Athens, and he begins to pull out this biblical meta-narrative out of these stories. And he says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. Go down to verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him and find him. Though he is not far away from any of us, that, that God's meta-narrative is written in the hearts of men so we can recognize his story and perhaps find him. This is what the Apostle Paul, for in him we live and move and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, he grabs one of their stories, this, a, a pagan poet, and he quotes, in fact, in our Bibles is a quotation of a pagan poet. And Paul takes this pagan poet and he, and, he, and he points it towards Christ. We are his offspring. Did you know that, this, that we, in our Bibles is a, is a pagan quote in our Bibles that Paul takes and he, and he reorchestrates it and he points it towards Jesus. The early church noticed that there was some kind of link between paganism and Christianity. In fact, the Greco-Roman pagan story of, of Orpheus, if you, if you know the story of Orpheus, Orpheus descended into the underworld playing this music so beautiful that it compelled Hades to release one of the souls that he held captive. Is it of any surprise to us that the, that the Greeks and the Romans saw Christ as the fulfillment of such a story? That they began to look at their own stories and, and the gospel come and they say, wait a minute, Jesus is the fulfillment of these stories. And when you look at some of these ancient uh, ancient Christian sites that you'll see that even Jesus is painted as if he is Orpheus on the walls of, of St. Peter's catacombs in, in Rome. And here's a picture of that. 
is a picture of Jesus painted on the catacombs um, in St. Peter's in Rome. And Jesus is, is depicted as if he is Orpheus, that he is, this, he is the one that sets us free from the bonds of death. But he is, he is better than Orpheus because Orpheus looked back and, you, and, and Eurydice was dragged back down into Hades, but our Savior never looked back. Because Jesus is the myth became fact. That these stories were pointing towards Jesus. They will connect Hercules and Prometheus and many others in this Greco, uh, Roman Greco mythology as types of Christ. In fact, the early Christians, they believe, they believe that the coming of Christ was a fulfillment of pagan yearnings and learnings. When you go to Italy, one of my, um, one of, on my bucket list when I go to Italy, I want to go to some of these great ancient cathedrals. And one of the very first cathedrals built um, is, is called the, the Orvato Cathedral. And here's a picture of the Orvato Cathedral. This is one of the first cathedrals built in Italy. And when you walk into this, the Orvate Cathedral, on the floor is this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tower art of a prophet. And here's, here's, this is the prophet that you'll come across. Here's this beautiful tower art. You walk into this amazing cathedral, and there's this prophet on the floor. And next to him is this prophecy. And what's really surprising is this, this, this artwork of a prophet is not one of the, the Hebrew scripture prophets, the Old Testament for us, but this is a pagan prophet. And, and, and they say that this pagan prophet, he was around the same time as Moses, a contemporary of Moses. His name is Hermes Trismegistus. Hermes Trismegistus, just trust me. <laughs> we'll call him Hermes, right? And so Hermes, so this pagan prophet, and so he's, point, he's pointing down to this, to this prophecy. And the early Christians, they saw that this prophecy was pointing towards Jesus, that this is, that this is a fulfillment of these pagan yearnings. And, and this is what this pagan prophet said. He said, God, the creator of all, made a visible God to be with him. And he made first and only. He took the light in him and loved him greatly as his own son, who is called the Holy Word. This is fascinating, this, 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 this pagan prophet. And, and early Christians notice that these, they, it's God preparing the hearts for the coming of the true gospel. In fact, when we look at nature, we can see evidence of intelligent design. But also when we look at our stories and we, we look at all the myths and legends, there's this biblical meta-narrative running through this and we find a different kind of intelligent design, a single storyteller. The gospel is, the back of, is in the back of all these stories. Has anybody seen the TV show on Netflix called Stranger Things? Stranger Things, right? Anybody, anybody seen the series? <laughs> What's really interesting about this TV series is that uh, one of my favorite biblical authors uh, of the Old Testament, his name is Dr. Michael Heiser, he, he has written a book called Finding the Gospel in Stranger Things. This is what this book is written. And, and, what, and what Dr. Michael Heiser says is that, that what's embedded within this TV show, unconsciously, uh, the, 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 the creators of the story have no idea, but what's embedded in it is this biblical meta-narrative of the upside-down world, that here we are living there, but there's this unseen realm that is there that's influencing us and all these things. And, and he says, this, this is the biblical meta-narrative. Meta this is what the Bible is talking about. And we also find this within the 
um, this meta narrative within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. Anybody love watching the MCU movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? You probably come in the church and you had no idea I was going to be talking about this, right? And what's this got to do with God? And if you're familiar with the Avengers saga and how that ends, we have the villain Thanos. Thanos. We've got the same haircut, me and Thanos. <laughs> Right? And this, this villain Thanos, with, with a snap of his finger, he, to, he eliminates half the population of Earth, of humanity. But the story of this Avengers saga culminates with Iron Man, who becomes this Christ-like figure, right? The selfish rich guy who sacrifices himself. And he even says the divine name. He says, I am Iron Man. Right? It's a divine name. And this is what the early church was doing. They were taking these myths and these legends, and, 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 and they were recognizing the Christ within these stories, and the, it was pointing towards the true gospel, the true message that, were, that was written within us. And what's really interesting, that evolution is just not, a, it's not just a scientific term, but it's a worldview, right? And, and when you apply evolution, evolution to the anthropology of religion, it says that we all started as a bunch of animists just running around, running around the woods, and then we slowly evolved to polytheism, then pantheism, then all the way to monotheism, Christianity, right? This is what the, the evolution of anthropology for religion says. But what the records actually show is the opposite. It's not evolution, but entropy. It's the decay. And what the actual record shows is that we all started as monotheists, and somehow we all fell away from it, the decay. And what the, what, what the author Don Richardson documented and found in his book, Eternity in the Hearts, he said that, that scattered across the globe are tribes who have this memory of this, of this monotheism deep, deep down inside of them. Wherever you go, you find this. In fact, I'm a bit of a history buff, and I love reading documents. I love reading journals, journals like scientific journals and, and peer-reviewed peer information. And according to the Cook Island anthropologist Kauraka Kauraka, in his 1991 journal article, he writes this, um, and, and titled, Thinking About Cook Island Native Religion. He states that Polynesians had an ancient monotheistic belief in one god, Eeyore, Eeyore, who was invisible and creator of all things. And he goes on. This is a statement from his, from his article back in 1991, his, his, his journal article. Reference to Eeyore may be found in Cook Island native chants. Eeyore, 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 Koko. And we think of, of, of Yahweh. The way that the Hebrews began to speak of Yahweh, Yahweh, short for Yahweh is Yah. We think of Alleluia. Hallelujah, we all, let us all praise Yahweh. Say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah is not just a single thing, it's a community thing. When we say Hallelujah, it says, We will all praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Yah. And Eeyore. Eeyore, we all praise Eeyore. And he goes on, reference to Eeyore may be found in Cook Island native chants. The attributes of Eeyore are similar to those of the Jewish God Yahweh, the all knowing, all powerful, without beginning or end. The cause of all existence. And, and, and as we see through the voyages of the Polynesians all the way to Aotearoa, there's this knowledge of the one true God, Eeyore. 
the uncreated one, the parentless one. But the Apostle Paul says the principalities, the spirits that be, begin to wage war against the memory of Eeyore and begin to, to suppress it and replace it with polytheism, with tangaro, rongo, tu and tane. But with, when they were, even within amongst darkness, there's hope. And the light still shines. And darkness can never put it out. For God has written eternity in the hearts of all men. And here's the thing. God's voice was speaking loudly through the people of the Pacific and Aotearoa. Just as he had done through the Greco-Roman people. Just as he had done through the myth and, and, uh, and mythology. The Polynesian story of Maui. Right? And here's Maui. Maui is a type of Christ. Type of Christ. Doesn't look like it in this, this picture right here. You're welcome. <laughs> but Maui was a demigod who fished up land out of the sea, right? He sneaks onto his brother's fishing boat and they won't give him any bait. So Maui strikes his ihu, his ihu, ihu karaiti, his, his, his nose, his ihu which we call, which is fascinating because Māori ihu karaiti is Jesus. So he strikes his ihu and blood flows from his ihu. Blood flows from Jesus. And he takes the blood and he puts it on his jawbone, his hook, his kowai. And he draws up an island where man comes from. Jesus puts it like this. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the story of Rangi and Papa, sky father and earth mother, Heaven and earth. It's really interesting is that the, the Hebrew word for heaven is, uh, is a masculine grammatical uh, word, and it's the word shamayim, right? And, for, and, and for, for earth is a feminine grammatical word, eretz, rangi and papa. What happens when the breath of heaven meets the dust of earth? What happens? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says this, and Yahweh and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That God has written eternity in the hearts of man. For every, every culture, every people group across the land, the single storyteller. So what does this mean for us? It means that the evidence for God is not only through nature, what we see in nature, but it's also through our stories. Throughout the myths and legends, the myth made fact, that they were pointing, pointing to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, Apostle Paul begins to speak, and this is a record of what he says. In the past, he permitted all nations to go their own ways. Apostle Paul says, all nations went their own ways. But he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. The evidence within his stories, within our stories that we have. The evidence for God throughout myths and legends, they're crying out. They're saying, here I am. Here I am. Which is why youth pastors for years have been using references to movies um, to, movies, to engage with young people. But why? Because young people, these are their stories. And youth pastors will begin to recognize the biblical meta-narrative throughout these movies. Um, Matrix, which was 20 years ago, that shows my age. And, uh, and, and all these things is, you're going to take the red pill or the blue pill? Right? Because if you take this pool, you're going to just going to live as if nothing's happened. But there's another world out there, an unseen realm, 
right? This is what, right? And, and, and pastors, youth pastors for years have been using this, and, and millions upon millions of young people have come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, all because the youth pastor had brought, pulled out the biblical meta narrative out of the stories they see, because there is one storyteller. For God has put eternity in the hearts of all men, and God has, has given evidence of who he is, which is why when we begin to watch movies, hear stories, we're like, this story sounds familiar, because there's one storyteller, the myth made fact. You know what it also means? It means that we shouldn't discount culture. Yes, we've got to deal with, with negatives, but we need to celebrate the positives. Which means it's not all demonic deception, right? It's all demonic deception, you know, let's just throw it all out. But if we begin to listen and understand We'll be able to pull out the gospel truth out of these stories, just like the early Christians had done with these, with these pagan yearnings and, and longings. And when you listen to, to the Maori story, don't be afraid to engage these stories, but listen and engage. Because if you look carefully, you'll see the hand of God's meta-narrative woven within these stories. And we say, wow, there's Jesus. We can point them towards Jesus. This is, this is Christ. We need to understand that the Maori prophet Toiro, years before Captain Cook, Landed in Aotearoa, gave this prophecy. Just as Hermes gave this pagan prophecy, you've got this Maori prophet, Toiro, and he says this, they will bring, this is speaking of the Europeans who were going to come to this land. He foresaw this even before Captain Cook set foot on Aotearoa. He said, they will bring the true God. The name of their God will be Tama i Rorokutia, son who was killed. A good God. However, the people will still be oppressed, which is primarily the story of the gospel coming to Aotearoa and the struggle of Māori thereafter. See, Māori fell in love with the gospel of Jesus, as did the people of Pacific. Why? Because they saw Jesus, they saw it within their own stories. They recognized it within their own stories, that these stories were pushing to the true gospel that was coming and was preparing, that God was preparing their hearts for the true gospel, and they fell in love with those stories and they recognized Jesus within their own story. But just as Toiro's prophecy foretold, the oppression came way of colonization. So today, the meta-narrative of the gospel must be told within our nation that the hope for reconciliation and honest truth storytelling begins with me. In 1814, Reverend Samuel Marsden stepped ashore Oihi, invited by the Rangatira Ruatara to come and share the gospel message where an estimated 300 Māori listened. What's really interesting is this wasn't the first time that, that Ngāti Torohine, Hina, encountered this amazing message. In fact, I've got a video clip for us to begin to have a look of what happened almost 500 years ago. So take a look at this. The arrival of the Paipera Tapu, which, uh, which came really by Samuel Marzen in 1814, was really important because from the perspective of, of our people of Ngāti Tolehina, that really marked the second uh, significant intervention 
of our Lord. The first intervention occurred amongst our people some 500 years ago. They landed on a beach, the beach that is affectionately known as Marzen's Cross. But to our tūpuna, when they arrived, they called that beach Hōhi. They named it Hōhi by inspiration of God. Hō meaning to shout and He meaning risen. For the Lord said, from this beach a shout will be made. And this is the shout, He, the Son of God, is risen. But when my tūpuna arrived, they, they went to the top of that maunga that we, we call Mataka. And our call it all goes that while they, while they worshipped and blessed the Lord, one whose, whose face, whose body was like lightning appeared, and he spoke to them concerning the kingdom of God. And the things they heard, they hid in their heart, and they wrote it into the land. No mai, na kotiang moto mato pa na kotirangi hawa tera. That's our parangi hawa. Our people lived here under the blessing of God when they arrived. The heavens were opened, but as time progressed, our people began to drift and depart from the God they originally knew and walked with. And so in the years leading up to, to Samuel Marsden, our tūpuna, the priest, our tohunga, while on top of Mataka, sought the Lord. Eventually he would come and he would stand amongst his people, our people, Ngāti Torehina, and he would recite these words, Whakaurongo, whakaurongo, whakaurongo ki te hautau wa pupuhima i nei nō te tai nō te uru, te kina ati toku wika ki wahate mo anā ki wai takoto mai nei. He gorongo nō ke tai ki tō hui, ko tai mai au ki tō hui, he kiki tāra ko tiko tipaha kia kiki tonu mai te whakapono ke au kātau e hoki runga hohi e. Ora kānuku nuku kāneke neke, kānuku nuku kāneke neke, Titiro ki ngā tai o tokoe rau e hora neki tua. Mehe pipi hora uroa, takoto te pae, takoto te pae. Behold, he said, while in prayer, behold, I perceived a wind, a wind of change, a new wind beginning to blow across our lands. For I heard the cicada representing, if you like, the loud and constant drone of rebellion and unbelief. Then I heard the sound of the koti koti pa, the rifleman, the tiniest bird in our land. And it was singing, saying, whakapono, faith, faith, faith. Faith is the key to unlock Rangihaua at the top of Hōhi. Faith. Ka nuku nuku ka neke neke. We must shift, we must make room. The things in our heart that don't belong there must go. We must make room in our heart. For as I looked over the waters of, of the Tai Tokero, I saw the pipi whaurua, and I understood the parable. I understood what God was saying. For as the pipi whaurua lays an egg, and another cares for it to bring it to its maturity. Even so, there is one bearing a seed that we must receive into our heart. Receive into our heart and bring it till its fullness that we might know how to stand properly on this land. What Samuel Marzen was bringing was significant. He was bringing a key to unlock again the gates to the kingdom of our God. 
the hearts of Ngāti Tōlihino, of my tūpuna, were prepared to receive something. And that preparation, that word to open their heart to receive what was coming didn't come from European. It came from our tūpuna who was inspired of God to share this word among the people. We're standing here on this whenua, the whole of the area, the whole of the lands, if you like, of the kingdom of Ngāti Tōlihino is called Mataroa. Mata being, meaning I, and raw meaning long. For God alone is the only one who can see all the way to the horizon and beyond. Declaring the end at the beginning. Sometimes we need to go back to the beginning. Why? Because at the beginning, that's where God declared what He would do, the end. That's quite amazing. That God is the ultimate storyteller. And He's written His story in the hearts of all men. And sometimes we're so quick to throw things out. That's a demonic deception. That's not of God. And I love what He said. Uh, what he said we're going to make room. We're going to shift. Which means we're going to deal with the negative, but we're going to embrace the positive. The, who God made us. And these stories, listen to the stories, listen to the gospel, that he's saying, here I am, here I am, see me, see me, that when the gospel comes and, and there's this marriage, because we need each other, Maori, Pakia, Toiwi, those who come from other lands are called Aotearoa, New Zealand home, we need each other, participants in this biblical meta-narrative, Participants of truth. And when we begin to be truthful storytellers, we begin to recognize our frailties and we can humble ourselves before Him. Eeyore. Our Savior, Lord Yeshua, Jesus. Say, I can't do this without you. Lord, help us on this journey. Because we've messed it up many, many times. Help us be one people under one God. Because when we do it in ourselves, we mess up this journey. So let us do this together with the biblical meta-narrative that's written on our hearts. And let's not just ignore it and say it's something that is not of God. But let's embrace what God is saying here in Aotearoa. The myth made facts. So Father, we thank you.